Righteous are you, Lord, and right are your rules. You have appointed your testimonies in righteousness and in all faithfulness. My zeal consumes me because my foes forget your words. Your promise is well tried and your servant loves it. I am small and despised, yet I do not forget your precepts. Your righteousness is righteous forever, and your law is true. Trouble and anguish have found me out, but my com- your commandments are my delight. Your testimonies are righteous forever. Give me understanding that I may live. Those are verses 137 to 144 of Psalm 119, verses 121 to 144 of which are the psalm appointed for today, Wednesday, August the 10th, 2022. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. Thanks for being along today. We're uh, continuing a look at Judges um, 13, verses 15 to 24, which is the story of Samson's birth. Uh, also, we are continuing in, in John's Gospel today in, in John 4, verses 1 to 26, and then in Acts 6, verses 1 to 15. Now, the John passage is the story of Jesus meeting the Samaritan woman at the well. I preached about an eight-part series on this one time, so it's going to be a little bit troublesome for me to get through so much of this story in one day. <clears throat> so anyway, the, the remember that Manoah, the father of Samson, and his wife have, have had an angel of the Lord appear to them. At first, to the woman, announcing that she was going to give birth and, and instructing her what she was supposed to do prior to the birth of this child and that the child was ultimately going to be a Nazarite. She was not to eat anything unclean, which she probably wouldn't have done anyway. And then also she was not to drink any of the fruit of the vine or strong drink. And then also added in the last one, she's not even to eat things like grapes. So she then goes and gets her husband when the, when the man appears a second time and he comes. And now he says, please let us detain you and prepare a young goat for you, which again is what Abraham said he was going to do in the wilderness when the three men showed up and came to him. And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, If you detain me, I will not eat of your food. But if you prepare a burnt offering, then offer it to the Lord. For Manoah did not know that he was an angel of the Lord. He just thought it was a man, apparently. And Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, What's your name so that when your words come true, we may honor you? So, He thinks he's a prophet of some sort, and he wants to know his name, but he believes the prophet's words. He believes that these things are going to happen. And so when he asks the name, again, this goes back to a different event in Israel's history, right? That sounds like Jacob wrestling with the man, the angel of the Lord, all night at the ford of the Jabbok the day before he went to see his brother for the first time, Esau, after last hearing that Esau had vowed to kill him. And so he he puts his hip out of joint. The angel puts his hip out of joint, Jacob's, and then Jacob wants his name and he refuses to give it to him. And and so instead of giving him his name, he gives Jacob a new name, Israel, the one who has has struggled with God and survived. So here Manoah does the same thing. Hey, I want to honor you when this comes true. Give me your name. And the angel of the Lord said to him, why do you ask my name, seeing it is wonderful? And now, John, me personally, believes that these um, uh, appearances of the angel of the Lord are actually Jesus. I think this is the pre-incarnate Jesus showing up and, and making these pronouncements to these people. And his name is indeed wonderful. It is the Lord saves. And that's the action that's promised here. He's going to begin to save his people from the Philistines. And so the angels won't give him the name. 
So Manoah took the young goat with the grain offering and offered it on the rock to the Lord, to the one who works wonders. And Manoah and his wife were watching. And when the flames went up toward heaven from the altar, the angel of the Lord went up in the flame of the altar. In other words, he was sort of not consumed by the flame, but he accompanied the flame as it went into heaven. So he ascended in the flame to heaven, and it was an offering to the Lord. And so it's carried the aroma and and this angel are carried up into heaven. Now Manoah and his wife were watching, and they fell on their faces to the ground. The angel of the Lord appeared no more to Manoah and to his wife. So this is a posture of worship. They realized suddenly what had happened, who they had been speaking with. Then Manoah knew he was the angel of the Lord. And Manoah said to his wife, We shall surely die, for we have seen God. And that was always the promise. You can't look on God and live, right? So, but we did, <laughs> and we're still here. So, but that language, we shall surely die. Do you recognize that language? That's Genesis 3 language. If you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. And then Satan says, you will not surely die. Here, the man says, we will surely die, for we have seen God. And that was the promise that had always been. You can't look on God and live. <clears throat> but his wife said to him, I mean, this is a complete reversal in so many ways of the garden. But his wife said to him, if the Lord had meant to kill us, he wouldn't have accepted a burnt offering and a grain offering in our hands, or shown us all these things, or now announced to us such things as these. So in the garden... Remember, who does God appear to? Who does God speak with? Well, he speaks with Adam. So how does Eve know what's going on? Eve knows what's going on because Adam told her what to do regarding that, um, the tree. So she added to it, though. Whenever she gave the commandment that, that had been given, we, we're not to eat of the tree. And she says, or even touch it. And so Manoah's wife has been incredibly faithful with the words God's given her. He, she has exactly told the truth, and the angel confirmed it. And here, she's the one with the wisdom. The one with the wisdom that says, he says, the, God's gonna, we're going to die because we've seen God. And she looks at him and says, you moron. If God had meant to kill us, he wouldn't have taken these sacrifices, and he wouldn't have told us all these things if his intention was, was malicious. And the woman bore a son and called his name Samson, and the young man grew, and the Lord blessed him. So it's a, it's a real reversal of Eden in so many ways here to see that the woman is the one to whom the Lord appears, gives the commandment about what they're supposed to do, and, and then she faithfully reports that to her husband, and she's the one who has the understanding enough to know we will not surely die. It's an amazing set of coincidences, not coincidences, in the gospel today, so here we go, we're going to go, Jesus is going to go to Samaria. Because he learned the Pharisees had heard Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John. And then John, the gospel writer, wants to clear that up. By the way, Jesus himself didn't baptize, only his disciples. So nobody was baptized by Jesus, is what he's saying. We just did that. So when he learned the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, he, Jesus, left Judea and departed again for Galilee. He didn't want the attention at this point in time, there's things that have to happen before that. And he had to pass through Samaria. Well, he, he didn't have to. <laughs> Most Jews wouldn't have. They would have avoided it like the plague. Remember earlier, a couple of days ago, one day last week, I don't remember what day it was, that, that Abimelech 
the son of Gideon, the son of Gideon by a concubine from Shechem, which is Samaria, was became sort of king of of the Shechemites, the Samaritans. So he became their king, and then he went out and killed seventy of his brothers. And then one of the brothers lived, Jotham. And what he did, remember, was he went and and cursed these people from their mountain. So remember those things. He cursed those people from their mountain. And so there's been this enmity between the Israelites and the Samaritans going on all the down these centuries since that time. So he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. And we believe that is Shechem, actually, same place. And you're going to see why in just a minute. So near the field, Jacob had given to his son Joseph. So this is an important place because Jacob gave this, this field near here to his son Joseph, the one who, who delivered the people out of Egypt or in, you know, out of, out of um, the famine into Egypt, actually. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour, so it's in the afternoon. <clears throat> so Jacob's well means that this well's been there 1,000, 1,500, 2,000 years, something like that. Maybe more than that, maybe 3,000 years. It's been there a long, long time. <clears throat> a woman from Samaria came to draw water. It's odd to me that John doesn't even tell us what her name is. <clears throat> Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone way into the city to buy food. So Jesus is weary from the journey to get to this place. He's sitting there by the well. The woman comes, and he said, would you give me a drink? And she said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans, parenthetically. So, so who, who are you? Why, do you? why would you ask me, of all people, to give you a drink? Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that's saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Uh, I'm sorry, you need a drink and you're ta- saying that, that I should have asked you for water. And it's a special kind of water you're talking about here, living water, which would tend to mean moving water. But if you knew the gift of God, oh, you're God's gift. Your God's gift to me, to the world, to what? The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? I mean, it's got to be deeper than the well. If it's living water, it's got to be deeper than the well, and you don't have anything to get anything with anyway. Are you greater than our father Jacob? There are two uh, challenges there. One is who you think you are, and the second is our father Jacob. Jacob's other name, remember, is Israel. So this Samaritan woman is saying, hey, Jew, you think you're somebody? Uh, we claim Jacob. We claim him. He, we're truly Israel. He said he gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock thousands of years before. He gave us this well. You greater than that? Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I'll give him will never be thirsty again. Oh, it's magic water. The water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to drink water. So he offered her grace. He offered her something that he knew she wanted. 
He knew her pain. She's here in the middle of the day, in the heat of the day, getting water. That's not when women came to the well. The women came to the well either early in the morning or late in the evening when it was cool. But the fact that she's here this time of day says she's not welcome when the other women are there. And so he knows what the longing of her heart is. And she tells him, I won't be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. I want it for two reasons. And he knew what she wanted. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband, which is true. (laughs) Jesus said to her, you're right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you've said is true, commendable. You didn't lie, at least. Mostly because you couldn't, because, well, you couldn't bring one back and say, well, this is my husband, unless you lied. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Now she's going to change the subject. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. It's a different mountain. So this mountain that she's talking about was the mountain from which Jotham cursed the people of Samaria in the time of Abimelech. And so now she's referring to this mountain. Our fathers worshipped here, but you, you Jews, say that Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. So, who knows, right? Jesus said to her, our fathers worshipped, she says, our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem where people ought to worship. She's pointing back again to the Father. She's pointing back to Moses is what she's doing. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour's coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you don't know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. Now, those are two huge challenges right back at you. You worship what you do not know. You think you're right. You think you're the true Israel. We worship what we know. We, the Jews, worship what we know. Salvation is from the Jews. Huge challenge to a Samaritan to say, you don't even know what you worship. You're wrong. You're absolutely dead wrong in what you're worshiping. And not only that, salvation comes from the Jews, the people you hate. So you're wrong, we're right. But the hour's coming, is now here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. In other words, he's saying the same thing to her that he said to Nicodemus. You've got to be born again. doesn't matter whether you're a Jew or Samaritan. Nope, you've got to be born again. You've got to be worshiping in spirit and truth. And the woman said to him, and no Messiah is coming. He was called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And that's what she's expecting because she only has the Torah. They only had the first five books. And, and there is the promise of a different kind of a Messiah, a prophet like Moses who will come. And Moses says, listen to him. He'll raise up from among your brothers. So here she says he will tell us all things. They're looking for a prophet. Jesus says, I who speak to you am he. Well, he he gave Nicodemus all that he needed to know, calling himself the Son of God and saying that he came from above. He was the Son of Man. He's the only Son of God. I came from above. I descended down here. He gave him all the things that he needed, but he didn't say it as directly as this. It's pretty close because Nicodemus knew the Word, and so he knew exactly what Jesus was claiming. But here he just goes straight into it and says, I who speak to you am he. I'm the one you're waiting for. This is me. It's an amazing thing. He wouldn't entrust himself to the people in Jerusalem at the time of the festival. But here, this woman, this woman who's had five husbands and now living with a man who's not her husband, that's the person Jesus looks at and directly says, I'm him. I'm the one you're looking for. It's an amazing thing. He, 
he knew what was in her heart, and he proved it already by offering her the one thing that she really desired more than anything in the world. In the Acts lesson today, in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. So the Hellenists would be those who had, had become converts to Judaism, but their, their heritage and their ancestry would have been Greek. And converts were not looked at in the same, at the same level. There's a distinction in the minds of, of the Jewish people between a, a natural-born Jew and somebody who had converted in the same way that, that Romans looked at uh, people who were natural-born citizens differently in, in, a, in a higher way than those who had, one, purchased or whatever their citizenship. The, the natural-born ones were, great, were considered to be greater. And here, that's exactly the kind of distinction that's being made, apparently, in the food distribution between the Jewish widows and the Hellenist con- convert widows. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples, so they bring them all in, and said, It's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. This sounds very much like when Jethro comes to to Moses and says, Hey, it's not good for you or the people that you're sitting here judging these people all day. You need some help. You need to raise up some other people. And they bring 70 to them, and they lay hands on them. Spirit falls on them. Two people, Eldad and Medad, in the camp. Spirit falls on them, too. you got all these elders now who can do this other work so that Moses can lead the people, and he can be the one who meets with God on a regular basis. They're saying that's what we need. He said, but we'll devote ourselves to prayer in the ministry of the Word. And so they've asked them to raise up men to, be, to take this other role on, which is exactly what Moses had the people do. They, he had the tribes choose the men that they would bring forward. He did it on a regular basis. You guys choose the people you want, bring them to me, and then we'll lay hands on them. And that's exactly what the disciples have done. So they, this pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antioch. So they, so the rest of them seem to be Jews, and then they get this one guy, Nicholas, Nicolaus, a proselyte from Antioch. So a proselyte is somebody who's con- who is converting to Judaism but hadn't gone the whole way and hadn't been sacrificed or hadn't been cir- circumcised. So they choose one of the Hellenists to be one of these deacons. These they set before the apostles and they prayed and laid hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. I mean, I pray that for priests in the Episcopal Church all the time, that many of them would become obedient to the faith. Here the priests they're talking about are Jewish priests. These guys are accepting Jesus. The word has gotten out. These guys are seeing this stuff and they're converting to Christianity, they're believing this thing, which would it's an interesting thought because what's happening is that they were the priests who served God in the temple, and now they're converting to Christianity. And, and so how do you convert those guys? How do they understand their role vis-a-vis the temple as, as part of Christianity? And then they're going to be subservient to these uneducated men who are now in charge of this community. It's an interesting dynamic to imagine what this looked like and how it played out in real time. And Stephen, one of the deacons, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Well, wait a minute. I thought they just deputized them to, to do um, baptism. I'm not baptism, but, but do food distribution. 
But Stephen was full of grace and power and doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and the Cyrenians, the Alexandrians, and those from Cilicia and Asia rose up and disputed with Stephen. So you've got these, these people, not from the temple itself, but from these other places and other synagogues. And these people are, are from far out outposts of the empire compared to being in Jerusalem. So these people are coming in, they're, they're in Jerusalem now, and they're arguing with Stephen, but they couldn't withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. So Stephen, full of grace and power, but also, we're told, full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, disputes with these men, and they lose. So they secretly instigated men who said, we've heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. Oh. It sounds like the trial of Jesus in so many ways. They're just, they're just trying to, to get some false witnesses to come forward, but they know this time they've got to get their testimony to agree. They've got to say the right things in order for them to, to be able to do what they want to do here. And, they, and you see this over and over in different places. You see the people in Ephesus doing the same thing to Paul. They decided, no, 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 he, he's putting a dent in our trade in idols. And so we're going to have to say some things that says he said this, that, and the other thing so that we can drum him out of town. We can get rid of this guy for coming in here and being a babbler. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council, again, before the Sanhedrin. And they set up false witnesses who said, this man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. So it's a very similar charge to what they brought against Jesus, and now they're going to wrap it up with the very charge. We've heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs that Moses delivered to us. Huh. So they went back to the well for the same charge they brought against Jesus. Jesus never said he would destroy the place. He said, if you destroy it, I'll raise it up in three days. And so they're, they're recycling the allegations that they made against Jesus, and now they're bringing them up for Stephen. And they said, oh, not only that, he's going to change the customs that Moses delivered to us. So it's not, it's not just the temple, but it's also the law, including the oral law. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. So God was shining all around. He was there with Stephen in this place while the council was meeting. And so now, what are you going to do? You brought these false charges. And so what we're going to get in the next couple of days is, is Stephen's response. But the beautiful thing here is we see the same things again and again and again. We see the jealousy rising up, right? So there's jealousy of the Hellenist widows. But it's probably it seems like it was reasonable that, that they were jealous because they were getting uh, short-sheeted on the food distribution every day. And now we see all these guys who can't win the argument who are jealous now of Stephen because they see all these people going out. They see multitudes of people becoming Christians and they don't want any part of it. They see the priests going out, and being, but they can't win the argument. So, well, what do you do? Well, you go the other direction. But it, but it all comes down to how do you hear and how do you parse things? Are you going to be like Manoa and misunderstand things? And, or are you going to be like his wife, who is, is a good judge of the situation? Are you going to be like him or them? Are you going to be like the Samaritan woman? Do, do you, did Jesus speak to you and tell you that he will offer you exactly what you want and what you need? He didn't offer to make her wealthy. He offered to relieve her of the pain of coming to this place. At least that's what she thought. It's not what he meant at all. 
He was going to change her life so that this place would now become the place of joy, the place that she met Messiah and brought others. She would be a hero in her town for the rest of our lives, her life. It's, it, it, we've got to allow him to give us what we truly need, not just the things that we pray for, the things that we want, but the things that we truly need.